are here today. I've invited a buddy of mine to come, and he's going to just tell you a little bit about himself. This is Todd. Um, Todd, did you grow up in this Stuttgart? I didn't ask you that before. Yes, sir. Sure yeah. did. Okay, so grew up here. Um, um, Todd is relatively new to Stuttgart Harvest Church in in one manner, kind of. I mean, so tell us kind of how you heard about the church. Well, my sister. I think she's out there in the audience. I saw her come in. She's here. Sure, she didn't really. <laughs> so you heard about it from your sister Tammy. Um, and how long did you hear about it from Tammy before you finally did choose to come? Well, uh, probably four or five months. Okay. So she just kind of kept after you and you kept saying after no me, or later me, or me. not now. And um, eventually, though, you did decide to come. Kind of what, why did you decide to to come? Stop saying no. Ooh, I guess I kind of ran out of answers. Mm-hmm. Uh kind of get to a point in life to where you're ready to try anything okay to get those answers because the, there was just things happening fine you were kind of wrapped up and uh and so in a many world problems. of hurt so yeah many problems a world so of hurt problems. and um and you decided so things kind of lined up and you kind of didn't have any more reasons maybe to say no exactly exactly and you came and um, I know a lot of times, because everyone in here at some point came for their first time, and I know we have people today who are here for the first time, and so they understand maybe some of what you're saying here, but if you would, share with us, because I know a lot of times when we, when someone shows up for the first time, they have their guard up, because they're kind of on the lookout, you know, because a lot of times we've been saying no to coming to church for some very specific reasons, whether we tell someone that or not. Sometimes we have some real specific reasons why... We say no, maybe because of our past, something we experienced at a church before, um, and we just we don't want to go through something like that again. What what did you have your guard up as you came? What were some things you were looking for? I did. Uh, what kind of had me a little hesitant was you know a lot of people tend to be judgmental. Okay. They uh, try and judge you off your past. Okay. Things like that, and that's something you know I was you know it was a new place and you know new people that's going to judge me. Uh, so if they knew something about you or they had heard something about you, um, or even if sometimes people can just make decisions about somebody by just looking at them across the room even. True. And then, you know, the other thing, too, we kind of talked about this earlier, churches in a movie theater. You yeah, know, it's kind of weird. Know, wow, that's kind of weird, you know. Churches in a movie theater? <laughs> what kind of church is that? Mm-hmm. You know, weird people over there. Um, so... Um, you kind of pushed through some of that, and when you showed up that first time or those first few times, um, how was that? I mean, did did you feel judged? What was that like? I never felt judged when I walked in. The first time that I walked in, you know, the music was playing, the band was up, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. Then you got up and you started doing your sermon. When you started doing your sermon, it was just like I was sitting right next to you, like you were talking to me. Like I'd been reading your mail. Like, like you've been reading my mail. <laughs> or my Facebook page. <laughs> or your Facebook. Some people are so afraid to let me be their friend on Facebook. And then they look at my page and they're like, oh my word, I, why was I afraid of that? Um, so go friend me on Facebook. Um, <laughs> the uh, Yeah, so it it felt, um, did the te- so the teaching, I'm just assuming, 
Sounds like the teaching didn't feel judgmental either. No, no, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Um, well, you know, we talked last time, so I won't make you restate this, but last worship experience, you told us you've really been, um, that first time you came was about the late spring, early yes, summer. And you've been pretty much here just a lot. I mean, just a lot between that time and right now, which has not really been that long. And the reason why I found that really unique is because you've already, within that amount of time, found your way into what we call a small group. And so tell us about, in such a short time, from late spring to right now, that's just not that many months back, not even a year yet, what difference is God making in your life? Oh, wow. Uh, I wake up every day. There's no fear, no frustration, no hurt. Uh, it's you know far down as I was. Yeah. And I just look forward to every day now. You so know, I, I go off the principle. I try and make myself a better person than I was the day before. Yeah, a little bit better every day. Let yes, him sir. make some difference yes, and some but change. So what I'm hearing you say is you had some you had some hurt lots and of it. junk press years worth pressed deep down. And in this amount of time, God is beginning to bring some um, some peace to that. Some and I to even use the word healing because I think our emotions and I, need to be healed as well Amen. when we're hurting. And so He's been in the process just in that short amount of time. How? To, let me ask this: How has He used? Because we know what we experience in here in the large group, and and. But how has he used the small group experience in your life? Ooh, small groups. That's something I recommend for everybody. But uh, Mr. Ronnie, he was the leader of our group. And, uh, I mean, you go in there, the people are not judgmental. Everybody goes in. Everybody has problems. And everybody helps each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's everybody. Yeah. They're all in there together. They're all in there together. I like what you said last experience, too. You, you said it's a, it's a safe place because there, there are no stupid questions. No stupid questions. You can ask anything. Yes, sir. And, you know, and, and we're not saying that our small group leaders or facilitators have all the answers. None of us do. But it's a safe place to ask those questions and kind of discover those answers together. Yes, sir. So that's really cool. Um, so let, let me ask this, if there's something that you could encourage our friends here today with, it, it doesn't even have to be on the same topic that we've been talking about, just anything at all, since you have an opportunity, um, what would you like to say to encourage these I, folks? I would just tell them, uh, don't ever give up. Uh, God has plans for all of us. He uses us all in different ways. Uh, just don't give up. I mean, no matter how low you get down. I mean, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep up the good fight. Yeah. Uh, and I, if you're like me, Todd, there were some moments with deep hurt that has been stuffed down and you just, you know, you function and survive during the day and just to make it home so you can just let it all unravel. Amen, brother. And God has been making a difference. You did not give up. Um uh, you haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. We're still in that process. Um, don't don't give up. And I want to also say this: um, some of you needed to hear that today. Just that very word. No matter what you're going through, 
Just don't, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And some of you need to hear that from the perspective of you have people in your life that you have been inviting and they've been telling you no. And like Todd's sister, she didn't give up inviting. Um, and I'm thank quite, God. yeah, thank, <laughs> thank God in heaven that she didn't because, um, she was just waiting to hear the words. Yeah. You know, I'll, yeah, I'll go with you this week. And, um, so don't give up inviting, you know, we always invite with love and compassion and care and concern and never with, uh, never with judgment. It's just always, you know, you got to come and see this. You got to be a part. It's not what you think. It's going to be okay. <laughs> so don't give up. Um, I want to pray for Todd. I want to pray for you guys. Um, uh, will you join me? Let's pray. God, I am so thankful for my friend Todd that he did not give up. And God, I know that we are not promised an easy life. God, even after we choose to follow you, sometimes things don't get easier. Sometimes they even do get more difficult. But God, you have promised that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. That no matter what we're going through, God, if we, are, if we are following you, you are going to be right there with us. You won't leave us. So God, I thank you. May we not give up. And God, I pray that you would continue to place on the hearts of our church, family, and friends here today other people within their circle who are carrying some very heavy loads, some, some tough, tough things. God, they've been inviting. They know that if they could just get them in these doors so that they could just hear your word and, and, and be encouraged to connect their lives with you, God. And they've been concerned about that, and that's why they've been inviting. But God, may you encourage them to not give up inviting, to keep loving, to keep sharing, to keep serving. God, we trust you with all the results, and that is changed lives. Thank you that you are in the business of changing lives forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm excited as we begin this series today. We're talking about I love this place because I do. I, I do love this place, and many of you are growing to love this place too. My experience and background came from 17 years of working with teenagers so I'm half crazy. I guess you haven't worked with teenagers before, but if you did, you would understand. It, it, it's amazing. It's fun. I loved it. 17 years as a student minister, as a student pastor. I loved it. I loved working with teenagers. Uh, but the churches that I served in for those 17 years, I've been now starting churches for 10 years. So I've been in, in ministry doing what I'm doing basically in, uh, for 27 years. That first 17, I was in all traditional churches. That means that most of them had steeples and they had, um, had sanctuaries and just, a, just the normal traditional things involved with church. And most churches that I was involved in, really all, all of those churches over the course of that 17 years, those churches were designed for church people. 
the way they functioned, the way they looked, the way they operated, what they did, it was really, all of them were designed for church people or people who were churchy type people. They had grown up in those environments. It was designed for them. Um, And if you did take someone from the outside and bring them inside to that church environment, then it wouldn't take long for that person to become one of the churchy people as well. That's just the way it worked in my life for those 17 years that I was in traditional church. But during that student ministry, I began to realize early on that there were lots and lots and lots of teenagers. I I worked with 7th grade through the 12th grade. There were lots of teenagers in junior high and high school that were not in the church. Most of them were out, and you would say they were outside of the church, and so they were outsiders. They weren't with those students who had grown up in church, and their parents had brought them since they were kids, and so they grew up in the church with those church insider teenagers. Most of them were outside. We began to reach. We began to see that, and we began to reach outside. So we left this inside group. They were still in the church, but I would reach out to these groups on the outside, and I would develop friendships, relationships through the high school, the junior high, with students who were outside of the church. And we would begin to invite them in. There was one specific student. I'm not going to change his name. He's my friend on Facebook. His name is Lennon. Lennon was an outsider. He did not grow up in church. In fact, this was in about somewhere around 1995 when I met Lennon. And the first time that he walked in, I can't remember how or why he came the first time or who invited him or how he heard about it. I can't remember. But when he did walk in, I do remember seeing him the first time he walked in. And in 1995, here's how Lennon dressed. His hair was slicked back. He had dark, deep, dark red hair. It was really, really dark, almost brown. Slicked back, and he had on a black, long trench coat. Now, if you know anything about 1995 or the 90s, if you were a teenager wearing a long black trench coat, you weren't sending off good vibes, right? If you remember, if you remember Columbine, if you remember just uh, the trench coats did not send a message. It did not, it did not endear you to society. <laughs> and so he shows up in this long black trench coat, hands in his pocket, and, and he's looking down at the ground. And in fact, then he goes to his chair, looking down at the ground, goes to the chair, he sits down, and he leans back, he slumps down into the chair, but he never lifts his head. He keeps his hands in his pocket, and he keeps looking down. I, in fact, I don't remember that day, maybe, and he might have, I just don't recall that he ever lifted his head, head up at all. I, I just don't remember that. Lennon didn't have a church background, but he kept coming to more and more things. We kept reaching out, developing a relationship, a friendship with him, an encouragement friendship with him. He kept coming back. We invited him to more things. And then he began to talk and visit. I mean, he began to share things. So communication was happening, conversations was happening, and he was lifted his head. He would have a conversation I remember one particular day during the summer, we, I invited him out um, to go eat barbecue. And we went to this barbecue restaurant in Sherwood. And um, after we ate, we sat down on the steps. And 
there on the steps as we were visiting, we were just talking about life and how Jesus doesn't want you. He doesn't desire you to just accumulate information about Jesus and about God. That's not what he wants. Jesus doesn't want you, I told Lennon, to have information about him. He wants you to know him personally as a friend. And we talked about how Jesus died on the cross for him, and we had been talking about that conversationally for a long time. But it was there on those steps that day that Lennon decided to say, you know what, Jesus, this life of mine... You bought it when you died on the cross, and I'm giving it to you. It now belongs to you. And what an amazing... Lennon's still involved in that church to, to this day and still lives in that neighborhood to this day. That's cool. But here, here was the thing. Lennon was not part of church. And so once he did that, decided to become a follower of Jesus, I knew the next step, being in traditional church, the next step after you become a follower of Jesus is to join the church. And that's just what you do. You become a follower, then you join the church. And you, and, and you get baptized, you join. So here is what I said to him next, because I knew that was the next thing. You know, I said, Lennon, now, you know, he had been coming to the youth group, the student meeting, but had never been in big church. I said, Lennon, it's time to go to big church and you can now join the church. And so I began thinking about that though. I said, no, as I, I was like, now I've got to explain to him all of these things he doesn't understand about church. I mean, because it's weird the way we functioned in church. I began to think, Lennon's going to walk into the first time into this sanctuary in this place, certainly in this room where you couldn't bring Cokes or drinks or snacks. No way, not in the sanctuary. I've got to explain to him how people are going to be dressed different because, you know, we're used to just dressing what we wear, but now you're going to look around, you're going to see a lot of suits and ties and yeah, they never wear those any other time of the time of the week, except maybe to a funeral or a wedding. That's it. But then on Sunday morning, and so the men all have shirts that they've had for 10 years. So when they bought them, their necks were 16 and a half. But now after all of those buffets at the Golden Corral, their necks are 18 inches and they can't button them. So they have to undo that top button and hide it with their tie. And so they're all uncomfortable and they're all, but they, I had to explain to him how that's going to be different. Everybody's going to be really really dressed up. I know they don't do it any time of the time of the week. They're going to be dressed up this day. And then I knew I was going to have to explain to him just about as you walk in, you're going to pass some architectural features that were really good in the 1700s and we still use them today and it's called a pew. It's this real hard wooden bench with a wooden back and you're going to come in and you're going to have to sit there and people are going to be invading your space. You're not going to have an armrest to separate you like this is my side, that's your side. You're not going to have that. They're going to be all up in your business because you're on this big bench and it worked great in the 1700s but not so great today because Lennon was going to walk into a room and see pews where he had never been in an auditorium, a theater, uh, a high school auditorium, a coliseum, anywhere that had pews. He was going to be like, what are these? 
And then I knew I was going to have to explain to him what it was like down on the front, how there was this stage and then these giant chairs that looked like thrones that lined the back. And then there was a piano on one side. It never moved. An organ on this side. It couldn't be moved. And and there was this pulpit thing in the middle where the, the pastor would come up and he would scream at you for 30 minutes. If you're lucky, 30 minutes. Right, if we're lucky... 30 minutes. Not well, You're not lucky today. I'm just going to let you know. You're not lucky today. So he would stand there. And then at the end of that, at the end of that yelling session, he would then come down to the front and the music would begin to play. And he would have what's called an altar call. Now that's something that we latched onto from the 1800s. At least we're a hundred years newer. The 1800s, you never see an altar call anywhere really in history before the 1800s because it really worked well for this revival reformation time that was happening in revivals around the 1800s and then everybody started to use those because they were very effective and we still use those today in many places and so I was going to have to explain how the pastor would come down off the stage and he would stand in the front And he would invite you, we call it an invitation, an altar call, invite you to come down and to to let everyone know what your next step was with Jesus. And and that's what would happen there. So I was going to have to explain that to Lennon. And so I began to explain. And so the day came that he was going to join the church. And sure enough, he came in, and he had his trench coat on, he had his hair slicked back, and he, he looked nice, so he looked very nice. And he came in, and I said, hey, let's not sit in the back, because then you have a long way to go when you walk down the aisle. Let's sit right over here, like on the fourth row. So me and him, we were the only ones sitting close, because obviously everyone else was on the back three rows. And so we, we would sit right, we sat right over here, and so went through this, the service, and I had to explain to him, you know, we, we, we take all of the acceptable songs to sing and to save you time so you don't have to memorize them we put them all in one book and it's called a hymnal and it's right here in front of you so when we sing we're going to sing these songs old songs that's fine old song great and but they're all in one book for you right here and we keep it by the bible because they're about the same same echelon right and so that's right there by so you're all there so we did all of that the preacher preached and he came down and he stood and so it came time for for Lennon to walk the aisle and to come and join the church. And I had to explain to Lennon, now, when you join the church, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go talk to the pastor and tell him that you are now Christ follower and you've given God your life and you're following him now. You're going to tell him that. And then what he's going to do is have you fill out a card. You're going to fill out a blue card, sometimes a white card, depending on where you are and fill that out. And then at the end, he's going to invite people to vote on whether they want you to be there or not. And usually by saying, amen. And so they do that. And I've never once heard anyone rejected. Don't worry about that. It's going to be really a good thing. You'll hear some good hearty amens and nothing wrong with amens. It's so be it. And so they want you there. And so they, you join, but you're not done yet. So before you, before they dismiss, then the pastor's going to 
invite you, the church to come down and welcome you. So they're going to form a giant line that goes all the way down that aisle, and they're going to file by one at a time, and every one of them is going to shake your hand. Some of them will even look you in the eye, and, and, and most of them will say something to you, and it's going to be awkward because it's awkward for them too. They don't know you. And so, but everyone will file by, but you can't leave yet because we're going to take you to this back room back through this door on the other side of the organ, which is over here. You're going to go through that door and they're going to take your picture. Uh, they're going to put you up against the wall and they're going to take a picture. It's going to be really, it's going to look like a mugshot because nobody's smiling because it's so weird. And then they're going to take that Polaroid picture and put it on a board that says, welcome new members. And it's probably going to stay there for the, for the whole year because they don't really feel, ever fill that board up. It doesn't get cycled through much. So by the time your picture comes down, no one's going to be able to recognize you. They're going to be like, who's this guy in the black trench coat? I have no idea who that was because you won't look anything like the picture by the time it comes down. But that's all going to happen. Now, at a certain time, I'll tell you when to go. So the pastor came down, and I gave him the nudge. I was like, it's time. So I was like, just go down, go down, just go talk to the pastor. And so he, you know, during the invitation, they have everybody stand up because it does make it easier to move around. And, and so Lennon gets out. He walks down the aisle. And I was like, yes, the pastor catches my eye. It's like, he's doing it. And um, so he comes down and he hits this front here where you're supposed to turn and he doesn't turn and he goes straight out the back door. <laughs> and so the pastor, he's standing there, you know, they stand in the front in the middle. He's holding his hands like this and, and, and they rock back and forth on their toes to the heels, toes to the heels. And they're waiting and he sees Lennon go by and he looks at me. He's like, what's, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. And so after he's out the door, it's like, I don't know. So I get up and I follow him out the door and I go and, and, and I open the door and, and he's kind of got his eyebrows raised like this. He's like, I did it. And I said, Lennon, you did a great job. Great job. Now I'm going to need you to go back out there and turn right. And the pastor's going to be right there and you're going to go talk to him and tell him. And so we did that and we went through all of that. And amazingly, Lennon is still involved in church and active in that very church to this day. How cool is that? I, I love that. But in thinking about that, I just remember there are so many things that we do in church that make no sense to people on the outside. No sense at all. But all of those things really that I just mentioned have two things in common. The first thing they have in common, and first let me preface this by saying that they have three things in common. Number, The first thing is this, that really all of those things are okay. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. The second thing they have in common is that you won't find them anywhere in the Bible. None of those methods are mentioned or talked about in the Bible. And the third thing they have in common is Jesus did not do any of those things either. None of them. But somehow, as churches, we find things that, we, that have worked well, and we latch on to them, and then we do those things for hundreds of years. Or we find things that we like that we did in the 50s, and we're still doing them in the next century. 
And they're not things that we find in the Bible. They're not things that we find that Jesus did. They're just things that we grew up with. And we began to attach special meaning to those things. And we began to feel like that's the way to do it. That's the spiritual way to do it. And then we began to think that's the way Jesus did it or that's the way Jesus wants us to do it. And we latch on to these things that really get in the way from other people coming in. Wow. That was my first 17 years of ministry, watching that happen, experiencing that. And then I began church planting, doing what we did to start this church. That was 10 years ago. Not this church, but other churches I started 10 years ago. And I ran across some resources, some some teachings from one of my mentors from a distance, Andy Stanley. And, And what he was talking about, I resonated with it because that's what I had been trying to do for that 17 years of student ministry, somehow creating an environment where outside people could find their way in and meet Jesus. That's what I was trying to do. And Andy put words to it. And when I heard that, I was like, yes, that's what I've been trying to do. And so I want to present to you the same thing that encouraged me years ago. I want to present that to you and see if you can understand maybe from that perspective why we do some of the things that we do. Because all churches, all churches, even this one, have a tendency over time to migrate and focus on the insiders. And the church becomes a place for insiders. The church becomes a place for Christians, for people who understand Christian things, for people who are church-y. Now, while none of us believe that ourselves, that that's what it really is, if we don't stay really aware of that tendency, then even our environments at our church can become that as well where we focus on the insiders and we push away outsiders. Because after all, doesn't the Bible say that for God so loved the world, for God so loved church people, for God so loved those who who understand and, and do churchy things? No, it doesn't say that at all. In fact, it says for God so loved people like you and me, the world, for God so loved the outsiders. That's what it's about. Now, we're not the first people to struggle with this. In fact, what we're talking about today is something that we look at at least once a year from this perspective, from this passage. We're not the first people to focus on this. We're not the first people to struggle on this. So we're going to take a look at the very first business meeting that we have a recording of And it happens in the book of Acts. Jesus had not been gone very long. You know, the Bible said he came and he marched to the cross during this three-year period, went to the cross three days later, rose again. Then he spent time after he rose from the dead with believers for for a, a little while. And then it said he went away and he's with the Father in heaven today. And we talked about in the last series that he's doing what? Preparing a what? I'm preparing a place for you, he said. And that's what's happening today. 
So Jesus had not been gone long when this takes place. And here's the question they were trying to answer. This thing that Jesus had a start called church, who is it for? Who is church for? Is church for non-church people or is church for insiders, for church people? And so they take this discussion and they try to find an answer. It begins in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It says, some of the men came down from Judea to Antioch and they were teaching the brothers. So here's how the teachers would travel around. They would teach and that's what was happening. But here's what they were teaching in this specific church. They said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. They said, unless you are circumcised, you can't be an insider. You can't be one of us. You cannot be from the outside and get into the inside unless you are circumcised. It can't happen. You cannot be a part of this church, they said, unless you are circumcised. Now, they were saying, you can't follow Jesus. You can't be a Christian, a Christ follower. You can't be in this church unless you get circumcised. And so what I can deduce from this, this church must have largely been made up really just of women and small children. <laughs> there was probably nobody else involved. The husbands were in the parking lot and they were like, honey, I just don't think I'm ready to become a Christian. I'll just wait on here. I'll wait out in the parking lot. I'll drive you home when you're ready. This was the first church problem. This was it. They were saying, unless, yeah, now I don't know about your tradition that you grew up in, but Andy reminds us of this, you probably, no matter what the tradition was, in order for you to become a member of that church, there were no surgeries required. I'm quite sure about that for you. This was the first church problem. They were saying, this, this place, this church this group of people is for people who already know the answers. They already know the answers to the questions. They have grown up knowing and learning. They're people who were raised a certain way, and they know when to stand, when to sit, when to do what they need to do. They already know. They fit into the mold. That's who this is for. And if you do want to come from the outside to the inside, you have to become like us and do things the way we do things. That's a must. Verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. This is just a really nice way of saying the fight was on. Because when Paul and Barnabas heard this, they had been starting churches since Jesus told them to. And they were starting churches for people on the outside. So they had these churches full of people from the outside. And now this, this, these guys were saying, mm, that's not, they've, got, they've got to be insiders like us. And they were upset about this. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, the Bible says, along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. So they sent Paul and Barnabas. They said, y'all go. You've got to find an answer to this because this is serious. We have to answer this question. Who is church for? You know, every organization has those who are in charge. Those, you know, you hear it like this. Well, they said, and, or they told us we have to, or, you know, it's, it's the they people. And in this scenario, those who were in charge, the they people, were the 12 disciples who had followed Jesus. Remember Judas, 
he betrayed Jesus and, and killed himself, they replaced him with another. So there were still 12 disciples. And then there were some others like Paul who had personally seen Jesus and been charged with responsibility. These people, they were the they. And most of them, the vast majority, were in Jerusalem, the epicenter of where the church began, where all of this had taken place. That's where they were. So they went to talk to them and get an answer. Who is church for? Verse, uh, verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church. Now, it just so happened, the biggest church that had the most influence at this time was that church in Jerusalem. Uh, and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything, they reported everything that God had done through them. They talked about starting the churches to, for the outsiders and what God was doing. And it was like, look at these amazing things. Verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were those Jewish people who were professional law abiders. They would take, that was what they bragged on. I have memorized it all and I live it all. And they took all the laws, like 600 laws, and then they had commentary after commentary after commentary explaining how to live each one of those laws. So they had volumes of books and they said, we are obeying all of this. The professional law people. Now, you might also remember in the New Testament, every time Jesus taught, somewhere around the corner was a Pharisee who came up and tried to discredit Jesus. Never worked. And they tried to tear him down and destroy him. Didn't work. But it was also the Pharisees who really marched Jesus all the way to the cross. Now, Jesus gave his life. But it was the Pharisees really, uh, not really, it was the Pharisees who uh, were the human side of making that happen. Jesus willingly went because he knew he had to die. So the Pharisees, you know, they're, they're not that, really that great of guys, not a great reputation here. But this happens to be a Pharisee who is now a follower of Jesus. But he's still really a professional law keeper who's a follower of Jesus. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, here's was their opinion. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So in other words, they're saying church is for church people, people who know what to do and know how to do it. And if they want to come from the outside in, they have to do it this way. Verse seven, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, here's what Peter had to say. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So in other words, he was saying, listen, God sent me to the outsiders. He sent me. Verse 8, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did us. And this was shocking to the Jewish people. They were like, what? We thought the Holy Spirit was just for us. Why? God is, they haven't been raised like we've been raised. They haven't been following God like we've been following God since we were children. If God has given them the Holy Spirit, just like he gave us, what is going on here? So they were shocked to hear that. Verse 9, he made no distinction between them and us, for he purified their hearts by faith. He's saying, 
you know what? Guys, you Jewish guys in this room right here, y'all have just been pretending. You've been pretending to be better than you really are because you have broken all of those laws, many of them, if not all. You can't even keep all of those laws. Isn't that the case? Once, once you get into the churchy thing, after a while, it seems like we begin pretending that we have it all together because I've been there long enough. I really should be better than I am. I can't let people know that I still think about this and I struggle with that. And so we pretend to be better. And then after a while from that, then sometimes we, conf- we, we confuse it all and we convince ourselves that we are better when we're not That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, God has purified their hearts the same way he's doing yours. You had to have your heart purified because you were messed up too. And that's what God is doing over here. Verse 10, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these people, these disciples, a yoke that you, that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? He said, we blew it. Why are you trying to make them do the same thing that we can't even do? 600 laws and you've blown it. Why are you trying to put that on them? Verse 11. No, we believe that it is through grace, uh, it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Now, the number one guy at this time that had the most influence of all the churches happened to be the the lead pastor of this church in Jerusalem. And he was there listening to all of this. It it just so happens that this guy's name was James, and he was the brother of Jesus. But James was not always a follower of Jesus. James, James didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He's like, come on, bro, you're my brother. You're, you're not the Messiah. He didn't believe he was the Messiah until after Jesus raised from the dead. Then he believed. James is now leading this church and has influence with all the churches. And so here's the thing. When James speaks, everybody leans in and they listen because they know whatever he says, that's getting ready to be the way it is. So they listen. And what he tells them is also the marching orders for us at Stuttgart Harvest Church today. Listen to what he says. This is why we bring this up every single year. Because when you think of church and the way we do things and why we do things, I want you to think of this very passage I'm going to read. And here's what James says right here. He stands up. Everybody listens. And he says, verse 19, It is my judgment, so that means this is what's going to happen. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. He says the mission of the church and every church should be this, that we are not to make it difficult for the people on the outside to get in here and to connect with God. Don't make it difficult. He said there is only, basically he's saying there's only one acceptable thing that can be a stumbling block, that can be difficult. 
He said one thing, that's it. And that is the gospel itself. The fact that Jesus came here as God to die on the cross for you. And three days later, he rose again. And he did that so that you can have an eternal relationship with God. That's the gospel. And he said, that's the only thing that should get in the way or that can get in the way. Because that is difficult enough. Let us not... Add to that many, many, many things that make it difficult for people. The only thing that should be difficult is that alone. Wow. This is huge. He's saying we should actually be making it easier for people to get in here to connect with God. And so he then takes the 600 laws and he summarizes those down and says, here's three things that let's ask him to do. We're not going to ask him to do all this stuff. So he gives him three things. Two of those things have to do with dietary laws. And here's the way he's describing that. He says, you know what? If you are in a group and there has been some strict Jewish dietary laws in this church. They grew up with these things. It can be really offensive if you throw in some bacon at the buffet. <laughs> if you go to a church potluck full of people who grew up in this Jewish tradition and you bring bacon in your pork and beans, it's going to really be offensive. Don't offend those people who have really tried to follow. They don't offend them. He said, and then he gave two, two things about that, and then he gave him one thing. And then he said, listen, we're going to ask you to avoid sexual immorality because that offends God. And he said, that's it. We're not, we're, we're not going to put barriers. We're not going to make it difficult for people on the outside to get in here and to meet God, to have an eternal relationship with God through Jesus. We're not going to make it more difficult. Wow. And so then they charged, they sent these men, they said, now take this, we're going to write this down. Now take this back to where all this began and read this letter to that church. Verse 30, it says, the men were sent off and they went down to Antioch where they gathered the whole church together and they delivered the letter. And it says, and the people read it and were glad, especially the guys. <laughs> they were really glad. For its encouraging message. And here was the message. Let's not make it difficult. But you know the church. They, you know what they went and did? They went and made it difficult. They went and made it dif difficult. About a thousand years later. The Pope sent armies. To have a war. Over real estate in Jerusalem. And they killed a lot. A lot. A lot of people. And then we went and made it difficult again. In the 1400s, the Spanish Inquisition, the church arrested and tortured and killed people in an effort just to grab land. But then we made it a little easier during the Reformation period. We got rid of a lot of that stuff, made it easier. And then you know what we did after the Reformation? It was the birth of denominations, and we went and made it difficult all over again. Because it seems like as denominations, we have, have grabbed on to different things and said, this is the right way, the official way. We like this method. We're going to do this. And if you don't do this, then you're not right. 
and we latched onto these things and made it difficult again. Because for some reason, the local church always gravitates toward insiders and we make it difficult for people to get to God. But you know what at Stuttgart Harvest Church, we are committed to find ways to take away the difficulty. And we're not perfect at it. But even within our core values, we said we are going to value change and we are going to change, change things. Why? So that we don't create these barriers, these things that we latch onto and say, that's the way we've always done it. We have to do it that way. That's why some of you are learning to say, I love this place. I love this church because we're in a process of trying to fight that tendency of making it difficult to get to God. Because we know at Stuttgart Harvest Church that the gospel is for everybody. And we know that everybody is invited. There's no missing steps. We're not trying to make it difficult. We know that everybody gets in the very same way, and that is through Jesus alone. And we know that everyone can meet the requirement because he met it for us. We don't want to make it confusing. We don't want to make it difficult. We don't want to add laws or add commands. In fact, our bottom line this morning simply says this, let's not make it difficult for people to turn to God. And here's what we're asking of you. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to do two songs. I'm going to pray and we're going to leave. But here's what I'm asking you first. Unapologetically, with no shame, I am asking you, will you serve with us to help us continue to not make it difficult for people to come in? Will you serve beside us to continue to make it easy for people to feel loved and accepted so they don't feel judged, they don't feel isolated, they don't feel like they don't fit? Will you help us? We need you to help us. We're asking you with no shame. If you are not yet on a Sunday serving team, almost every one of those teams rotate. They don't serve every Sunday. If you are not yet on a Sunday serving team, I'm asking you this unashamedly. I'm just asking on the back of your connection card, will you mark, I'm ready to serve at Stuttgart Harvest Church? That's it today. That's all we're asking. Every single person, will you serve with us so that we can continue to make it easy for people on the outside to get in here and feel loved as we point them to connect with Jesus. Will you serve with us? It doesn't matter if this is your first time, second time, third time. Or if perhaps you have been here for months and are not yet serving, will you sign that today? And I'm not trying to guilt you into it. I just simply say, will you join us to help us do exactly what I just said today, that we don't make it difficult and we want you to be right beside us as we do it. Will you serve alongside us? We're going to do two songs. 
I'm going to ask that you go ahead and fill out the rest of your connection card while we sing. We're going to do the giving buckets after the second song when I come back up, and it'll happen very quickly. So have them filled out while we sing. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful that many of us have heard your gospel, that you died for us three days later, you rose again, all so that we could have an eternal relationship with you. And God, I'm so thankful that you're in the process of changing our lives and you have given us the responsibility of not making it difficult for other people to come in and meet you and have their lives changed too. God, I'm so grateful. As we sing these songs, God, we are worshiping you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.